Welcome to the deal, or excuse me. Thank you for joining me today. Not the daily wrap up. Seven days straight, and that's what it'll do to you. But thank you for joining me today. I have uh, honored today to be joined by James Corbett to continue my focus on this topic in regard to occupied Palestine and the larger conversation about what's going on in in, in regard to Hamas, in regard to civilian populations, and and really just really just diving into one main point today, which is in, in regard to the possibility. Of or not, this was something that was allowed to have to happen. It's going to possibly really up a lot of people. The idea is that this is something that is being put forward by a lot of people in Israel, a lot of citizens of Israel that seem to believe that their government was behind something. Whether it's allowed to happen or whether either heard of it, we'll discuss and you guys can come to your own, your own conclusion. But it's, I, I think it moves us to consider possibilities, especially when it's so, so emotional. So thank you to James, James for joining me today. today. I think this is an important conversation. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it sounds like there's a weird glitch on my side where you seem to be kind of stuttering electronically. Um, is, oh. Am I coming through okay for you? You said okay. Let me know in the chat chat if the audio is coming through or not. We're happy, we're happy. We've already had a couple weird glitches before we got started, so let us know. But uh, thank you for joining me, James. I know you're busy. Um, I, I wanted to go through a lot, you know, a, a, a few things that tie into this larger topic that, that I've already heard on the show and I have your thoughts on it, on it in general. But I think today, today, I really want to focus on, on that larger topic. And and one thing that I wanted, I wanted to say before I started is those that maybe not have, have seen my work before, before or, or James's coverage in general, you know, we always put out in, in front the, the, the concern for the average person, the civilian, the people, the people without a voice. And I think that's, that's important to make it clear that in no nowhere we should diminish or ignore the suffering of anybody on any side, be that civilian or military member. But one one thing I think I think important, and I've been saying been saying a lot, is if you're you're in a field journalism and you're and you're going to put aside your emotional reactions while doing diligence, then you probably you probably shouldn't field. And I think what's pro the problem now, now is that even discussing discussing the topic about whether or not there might have might have been some involvement. You know, throughout history, especially with the United States and in Israel, it's a very, very big topic. It upsets a lot of people as if we're trying to, to attack, attack the, the suffering that they feel people have gone through. And I think what is important to point out is if if, if that that's the way this is supposed to go, then no, then people will always be outraged about what, about what they're supposed to happen or what they think happened. The implication is that, that we're supposed to not investigate people no longer emotional. And I just think that if, if it's easily abused, abused power. And and even if not, it's something thing that ends up being. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm saying that there is some echo. That, that's quite frustrating. I'm not even sure what to do to do to fix, but I guess we're well, going and I'll try to angle some things on the society right here. But apologize for that for that guy. He's saying reset the connection. <laughs> uh, doesn't doesn't surprise me. Well, uh, James, give me your thoughts on on you know just I'm gonna throw throw it to you for about the second so I can fill fill this. On on the general topic topic of what's going on right now and why you think it's important and I want to I'm, I'm, I'm going to start is going to be around the idea of the civilian casualties and I'm going to I'm going to specifically in regard to Gaza but in general and and the statements that have already been by people in power in Israel very clearly that this is not not just about us this is about Palestinians all civilians and and that's been stated repeated repeatedly so your thoughts on that as I try try to this out. Okay, yes, it's important to set the table for this conversation in that way because, well, actually, there's another aspect of this. And before we launch into this conversation, let me preface everything that I'm saying today by noting that it is absolutely first thing in the morning here in Japan. So I have just woken up and just gotten into the news feeds. So whatever major developments took place in this story overnight, I'm not going to be uh, up to speed on all of them. Um, 
But actually, I mean, the, even the question of, well, I, you know, I'm halfway around the world in a completely different time zone should should be should be an interesting intro into this conversation, because I want to start by saying um, for anyone who's wondering why an American in America is talking to a Canadian in Japan about what is happening halfway around the world. I know one of the reasons that uh, that you invited me on is I, I know that people in your audience have been asking um, to, for you to talk to me about what is going on right now. And I, I appreciate that. I genuinely appreciate that people do uh, appreciate the work that I do and and the way that I do it. And I, I, I understand the sort of vote of confidence that that is, but I don't want to be taking away from the voices of the people who are actually there and actually living this experience. So I... Won't go so far as to say that people's time would be better or more fruitfully invested in listening to people like Ramsey Baroud, actual Palestinians, or people like Robert Inlakesh, who I know has family and has lost family in Gaza. Um, people like that who have absolute are, are absolutely involved in the situation in a more um, real and present way than either yourself, Ryan, or me. Um, but at any rate, I just want to put that out on the table. I know, and we are venturing into territory that is deeply, deeply emotional right now, which is, of course, part of the problem. And as you say, I think if we want to enter into the plane of morality to have a conversation in which morality plays any role whatsoever, we have to acknowledge that the wanton slaughter and murder of innocent Israeli civilians is a moral uh, disaster is disgusting mm -hmm. in the exact same way that the wanton slaughter of innocent Palestinians is disgusting. And for the extremists on either side of this issue who says there is no such thing as an innocent Israeli or no such thing as an innocent Palestinian, you do not cross the threshold of entering into the moral realm and right, this can right. be simply excluded from this conversation. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that too. I hope it sounds better. Let me know in the chat, um, James Lowe. But I'm glad you said because it's very, very important to. And again, that's what's where I'm going to start because it's it's really it's really. I mean, I want to say it's kind of throwing me for a spin here in the in, in, to see people, even people that I respected, who have taken a really, really unending line in this. In this where there's only one side of this conversation, right? And, and, and I've been trying that clear in, on many different sides. It's not even just two. There's people all diff different perspectives that seem to think that only their part matters. And I don't, I, I, I quite frankly think this is because because of the power and people and the governments and the the, the, the propaganda that spins pe people emotionally. But but I, I know time is limited, um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and get into some stuff to, to begin. To begin. Um, I What I want to start with, oh, and, and I did want to say one other thing, is the, re the reason, your point, the reason that, that I wanted you to come, come on. And yes, I, I, I was probably, probably, uh, contacted by five or six, six people to ask you and I, you and I to have this conversation, but because you have done a lot of really excellent work, work when it comes to false, false flags in general. So you, you have a, have a really understanding of, of, of the earmarks and what you can, you can you view things up better than most, most argue. So, so that's, that's why your perspectives. So I'm going to try to go quick, quickly through the stuff. Cause I want to get right to, right to the conversation, but let's start with, start with a couple of things. I just want people to see that I think are important to make clear and understand and maybe I'll kind of I'll kind of cut some out that we don't need need to go through because I've got a lot, got a lot of, of examples but first first and foremost I want to start with coming direct, directly from the Associated Peter Press. This was just put out in general this coming from Gaza Health Ministry but it's been reported, reported by, by uh, UN, UN by the cradle by a lot even corporate media side of the numbers of 724 children children and 485 women as as killed in Gaza and and separately from that is 1500 Hamas militants. 
think it's very important to recognize that what we're talking about here is, is comparing to 1,300 at the moment is Israeli that have been killed. Some of them definitely IF members. The other side of it, Hamas members. Hamas members but I want us to recognize, and this is not to make one side or side or one, one life more important than the other, that at, at the moment, we have, we have about the same amount of just, just women that have been, been killed in Gaza because of the bombing that's going on there and there compared to what's been ha what happened in Israel. And I think that's an important point to keep, to keep to see as this continues to go forward. And the reason that's important for the conversation today is one wondering whether or not the point indeed about doing something like this in, in Gaza, finding a rationale in Alfred. And I think, think that's a point in regard, regard historical state statements and so And I also also just to show now in, in general as of right now, Tolan Gaza 2329, uh, Israel 300 is the is the number is the number from the original incursion. Know that there are, are supposed that are going to be be reported based off identification is what I'm hearing from the Israeli. Now, uh, and feel free to jump in, James, if you have any comments. I'm hoping hoping this sounds a little bit better now. Or now, I'm going to start with a clip here from CNN. Is Irving to say the least? The are they admitting that the at this at this moment about essential essential admitting that this is about starving the civilians or to have have an effect on Hamas essentially or the ruling faction and I, I this is interesting because this is much like sanctions that we talk about how, how they're playing these in order to hurt the population in order to get a response and I think that I think that's always what's really about so out so here's what Ben said today does that mean um, you say does that mean starve the Palestinian people continue to because they will be so hungry and will be so desperate for water and medicine that then they will give up Hamas? It sounds callous, but I mean, this is a war. But the so just, just that statement, what thoughts on that, James? James, right? The idea that 30, 30 years ago, it was something, things that, you know, you know, depend it's the same game as being, as being played in the media, where if, if one does one thing and it's freedom fighting, the side, side does terrorism kind of game, right? Now you're rationalizing in real time collective punishment. Right. I mean, just think, I just think that very telling. Yeah. I mean, this is that's blatant, absolute war crime. There is no doubt about that. There is no putting any kind of gloss on it. That is mm -hmm. by any standards that have persisted for at least the last century or so. That is an international crime and right. should be prosecuted yeah. as such in any in any rational or sane world. But of course, we do not live in a rational or sane world. So that is the kind of thing that can be. Uh, freely floated on the airwaves, uh, CNN and otherwise. So um, not surprising, not surprising in the least. It's in fact, actually pretty much the status quo that we have, certainly I've seen all of my life. And I uh, presume most of the people in the audience have seen that there is some sort of strange, uh, strange other world that exists in Israel that allows them to commit war crimes and things that would be absolutely recognized as genocide uh, by if they were committed by anyone else, but apparently not when Israel. Not right, right. Now, now let me know if you guys can hear me. Switch to my my, but less, but at least it's hopefully not as bad. Let me it sounds good now. Sounds good now. Good. Um, <clears throat> so I mean, the, the, the again to reiterate why why I think it's important to demonstrate because we're and no, I'm not trying to I'm trying to suggest that action by Hamas are are seen differently by I've seen like seen like your point from the beginning people that are arguing that it's 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 justifies of x y and z and it's the same p and it's the same kind the reason that I'm trying to point this out now is be now is because the the lie and the point of discussion discussion is about the false flag and then re, and then realizing that they will level from the institution institution 
and be willing to hurt people to get that done. And that's no different than, in my opinion, the, my opinion, the U.S. government or pretty much in the world. So this is so this isn't, you know, that that's make it clear why we're focusing on that point. Now, here's another example. This example, this is from a CNN interview, and this is actually this is actually really telling. This a a a a, 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 a IDF member, a, 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 I think it's a IDF speaking with CNN and and saying deliberately. And actually, he even says, "I just I tried to correct you, and let me tell you now, it's a it's a fight against the civilians." And I'll, I'll play that really quickly, and you can, if you want to comment, go ahead. Correct you to the answer. The war is not just with Hamas. The war is uh, with all the civilians. That... So the point is, the video is longer. And I, I have the version right here for those that don't. The, the point, point is he then goes on to say it's, it's eight minutes long, that it's because the civilians uh, uh, hate us. So there's no real kind of context after that that makes it any better. The point is he's making it very clear. In his mind, because the civilians hate them, them that, that they're a, a fair target. And I think, I think that's an important context for us to understand. And then I, more, more examples. Here's a, here's a, a, a reasonably famous a 95-year-old reservist, Ezra Yachin, Yachin, who is Thai terrorist group from the Zionist group, Zionist group, but openly takes everybody part of the group that we have to kill every single one of them, the last man. Here is a here is a open written Haaretz article article from mainstream Israeli media. Killing children brings Israelis together. Together. I just saw that I almost kind of I was I was I I almost I didn't believe it was real. Believe it was real. Read this. It'll it'll for interest of time. Interest of time. I'll go over it in a few. Minutes. You would like me to go into it, James? James, but it's it's pretty shocking. And it literally says that says that killing children, as it may be a bad thing, is good is good because it brings together and it shocks people and it makes a difference. I just want to make sure people see, make sure people see that kind of mentality. It's really really alarm really alarming. I, I know we got limited time with you, James. So I'm gonna go ahead. I'll, I'll revisit this on a show coming up, guys. Coming up, guys. Uh, Rob. Robert, making sure we understand the child death toll in Gaza currently is currently a child death toll of, of, according to the entire Ukraine war at the moment. And as I understand from uh, from, I think, Eva Bartlett, a couple of the sources, the sources they bombs in in currently just in, then over uh, the one entire year in Afghanistan. These are all sites coming uh, stats coming from from high level different reports coming out. Here is the Israeli president saying deliberately, openly. That all of them are bad guys. Every single one of them. I'll play this one and then we'll, we'll get into the main topic, James. Uh, working, operating militarily according to rules of international law, period. Unequivocally. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true. This rhetoric about civilians not, we, we're not aware, not involved, it's absolutely not true. They could have risen up, they could have fought against that evil regime which took over Gaza in a coup d'etat. But we're at war. We are at war. We're at war with at our, we are defending our homes. We're protecting our homes. That's the truth. And then when a nation protects its home, it fights. And we will fight until we break their backbone. So I guess only one nation gets the right to fight and, you know, and, you know, right, so on. So we see here the, the reality that in their mind, the rationale, all, all the citizens are involved, which then, make, which then makes it clear why there's discriminant bombing taking place, place. Right. So I think important in general. Now, now I have a couple of the example of the, you know, other, other politicians opening that exact same point, a policeman that says we should 
turn turn Gaza into dust. There's a politician that's been calling for calling for nuclear bombs to be in the area. It's all really unnerving. There's been up as of today, 14, 14 members of the U killed there. 400,000 people that are hurt, which they're not allowed to, they're not, not able, but they're claiming they're going to bomb I me. Mean, they're going to bomb the area anyway. It's, it's a really unnerving reality. The UN has been calling it out. We have blatant at even the human rights watch now, watch now acknowledge that there was proof of, of white phosphorus. So it's been this unnerving, just on, this onslaught on Gaza. And yes, it, what happened in Israel was disgusting and terrible and definitely a war, definitely a war crime. But no way, we, we need to have both, both these conversations in our mind at the same time. It's Both of them can be terrible at the same time, not one versus the other, right? And it's just this ongoing attack that's you know, you know becoming hard to watch. So this is where all that being stated, Dan Cohen, Cohen pointed out, it's very interesting, that in March 2023, they put out the article, uh, the, the uh, Times of Israel, we will retake take Gaza, and it will come with many casualties. And there's there's a it's it's a very interesting article that ties back to a lot of uh, uh, policy and and direction that was planned out. And so, first of all, my thoughts on all of this before we get into you know this kind of stuff stuff about the fact that there seems was active in insight people warning that they what are your thoughts on the the logic of oh I wasn't showing it but the logic of trying to take back Gaza. Like, do you think that this is something that the thing that the Israel government wants to only accomplish? Do you think this is, this is something that they would be willing to opinions in about creating justification to do so? To do so, I, I, I think we know that in the past they've had, they've had examples of the U.S. government carrying out, carrying out flags and so on. Right. I think um, the old adage that people have when it comes to personal relationships is that when someone tells you who they are, believe them. So when when officials and others make statements that we will retake Gaza and it, if it involves ethnic cleansing and genocide, then bring it on. Um, we should believe them when they say that and take it at face value. So, yeah, I have no reason to distrust that this is something that at least... Certainly not every single person in the Israeli government, let alone every Israeli citizen, but certainly large sections of the Israeli government are 100% on board with this idea and this agenda of wiping out Gaza to the last man. And uh, we're starting to see that coming to fruition on the back of this highly suspicious event. It's event. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't really think we need to need to. I think it's very clear that there's been a desire to. I mean, I mean, the very back to the original occupation itself, the whole point was about moving this society aside to, to take this territory, whether or not you think that's just justified. So coming to today, the question becomes with this with this event that took place. Was this something that they would would have been willing to allow to happen or be a part of to take further action in Gaza, which I think that alone is hard sell because I don't think they've ever really needed any justification to ultimately take action in Gaza in the past. But this is where, and let's just go with this. This We'll start here and give me your thoughts on this. This is uh, Efrat Fengensen from, well, she served in the IDF in intelligence. And here's what she has to say about her thoughts on where, how, I guess the word she, used, word she uses was simply sacrificed by the Israeli government possibly explain such a failure. Incompetence seems inadequate, inadequate to explain it. Now, you're in a position to say more about this because you have you have manned that border. Yeah. It's very hard for me to talk about it because it's... Um, <laughs> there are so many friends and family members of friends 
that are missing and have been taken hostage in this barbaric act, that talking about what I know feels like, sometimes feels like, why is this important now? And at the same time, I know that if we don't talk about this, then we will just let them off the hook once again. Because to me, and, and I will explain why I think this, this is a great atrocity. Um, because to me, this is, it's, I don't know how to say it. It's just the people of Israel have been, I don't know if sacrifice is too rough of a word, but we have been sold and sold, uh, out. sold out completely and uh, no help for hours and hours and no military involvement, no police, no arms on the ground for hours and hours. This is something that is non-typical and unusual for Israel Defense Forces. Now, I've served in the military forces 25 years ago as uh, I was in the intelligence uh, forces uh, based in the Gaza Strip, as I told you. And I know the security drills. When I served, there was no internet. So I would sit next to the phone in my uh, shift of the fence of the security of the Gaza Strip. And whenever something would move alongside the fence, I would get a phone call from the human observers that are looking at the gate um, telling us there is a chain of command that you have to notify when something like this happens. And then straight away, uh, forces come in to look at what is it and take it down. So what do you mean when something moves by the fence? How small it can, is something? It can be a pig. It can be a cat moving alongside the fence or touching the fence or trying to cross the fence. An animal, they would identify it. They would see it. There so are a, cat, a cat gets scrutiny. trigger. Yeah, it could trigger the fence. Yeah. And An animal. 25 years later. with And 25 years sensors. later with internet and with the most sophisticated high-tech weaponry systems and there are drones and there are helicopters and there are troopers on the ground and you know there are many things that are supposed to be activated there are various lines of defense and layers of defense that are supposed to be activated when something like that happens okay so i just want to make this clear i mean it probably is but you have a system that is sensitive to anything the size of a cat or bigger. That system, since you were uh, manning it, has had 25 years to mature and become more sensitive, to become more discerning. And yet, how many places was that border breached? Fifteen. Fifteen places. It's not more. Yeah. 15. And that is completely ridiculous because normally with one breach of the fence, the whole army is triggered and things start moving immediately. Things start moving immediately. And here there was nothing for hours. So that's a 15 places, right? I mean, we know the iron wall conversation. We know the, I mean, there's been nothing. I mean, there's been a conversation about maybe this was a lot of bluster in some cases, right? But from my research, it doesn't seem to be the case, right? So just based on that, that sentiment, 
And I'll get into some very just, it seems like an over a waterfall people online from Israel that are challenging U.S. sentiment saying, you're wrong, wrong. this did this to us. What, what, what is your take on that? How do you, what do you, what do you feel about that? Well, I think that, that clip certainly speaks volumes about what, because this is the type of excluded part of the conversation that because it is not presented to people, they generally won't think about. But yes, if you have experience in security services of any sort, let alone in that particular situation, you will know that what happened is not just unusual, it is unthinkable. Um, and the, the most interesting treatment that I've seen of this so far in the mainstream world is from the New York Times, which had a story of the secrets Hamas knew about Israel's military, which is an interesting article. It starts by saying the 10 gunmen from Gaza knew exactly how to find the Israeli intelligence hub and how to get inside, which right away, the Israeli intelligence hub, there's only one hub that monitors the border apparently and it's a little room with a bed inside of it and a couple of guys there a couple of idf manning it and these guys knew exactly how to get there and they shot everyone on site and they got into the room and killed the guys there and we know all of this because of the um, footage from their helmet mounted cameras that they were wearing and they were later shot and so uh, the new, don't worry, the New York Times has seen the footage. So apparently this is the explanation. And they go on to say that there was, that these Hamas fighters had color-coded maps of exactly, like not just the, the general area, but the hub itself and exactly where it was located and how to access it, etc. But they don't, uh, they don't really explain how this planning document, which found by Israeli emergency responders in one village, quote unquote, um, how it came to be, how they have this kind of color-coded map with all of the, the, the secret uh, access and ingress and all of this. And um, the document is dated October 2022, suggesting that the attack had been planned for at least a year. All right. Okay. Your lips to God's ears, New York Times. Um, I just want to, I just have a few questions about this and how this plan was developed and um, how it came to such startling fruition, despite, as we've just heard, the incredibly sensitive, constant surveillance and monitoring of that border. And as I believe she goes on to say later in that interview, we're not talking about one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 different breaches of that border. We're talking about 15, 15 breaches and not a single police officer, military person in sight for hours and hours. This is Impossible. impossible in any other day or in any other circumstance it's unthinkable what happened what happened we have to think about how it did happen and i would go further and say that's almost i would say you know i i, I rarely you rarely use the word i don't like the word i think anything's probably the the unlikely thinkable in any circumstance i mean think about any secure location where you could could people 15 different locations simultaneously i mean that doesn't even make sense to me you know there's something something and and to point here is I, I, this is something I have confirmed only in the sense, the sense that I, it, the same way I would say I haven't been able to confirm the New York Times, their claim about that video, right? This is just, it's the Iranian to seem agency making these claims. So take that for what you will. I, I would argue an Iran plot, I mean, any corporate news outlet I think has, or any news outlet for that matter, has an interest in trying to convince people of their narrative. But here's what it says. The Iranian to seem agency citing its sources in the Palestinian resistance 
that parts of the Israeli regime's army forces collaborated with the Gaza resistance in transmitting information about the state of the army. Sensitive areas, sensitive areas directed Palestinian forces during their penetra penetration. So that would, if that's the case, that's, that would per explain why all that stuff happened, right? And here's where it gets even more interesting. Well, for, first, again, these were the, the kind of small notes on the side. This is, this is from... Uh, the 12th, 12th, Israel had intel's activity, but didn't put put it on high alert. Sort of 11 feel right there, right? Like like before. Egypt went Israel days before it happened. This has all been, even though both of these claims, these claims were disputed in the beginning, now it's come to come to be reality. And I'll, and I'll come back to that in a second. The other point I was going to get to um, was was uh, like this kind of stuff, right? So now the, the, the Israeli population, population, for those that don't know the reality that Hamas was, us was, I mean, I would have created by the United States, states and Israel, which I think you can really prove. Even Ron Paul said that in front of Congress a while back and all the documentation. Their own population is saying this. For years, Netanyahu propped up Hamas. Now it's blown up in our faces. And so you can get, you start to see the kind of outlines of the possibility of something that was used, just like people have made the arguments before in regard to even just rockets with Gaza. The idea that I, there's been, there's been articles written about that, how oddly enough, every time there's an election or every time you know, has a problem, there's suddenly a surge in, in the issue. And, and so there, the, there's a lot of, a lot of opinions coming from within the Israeli population, which, which, which is very important to understand and how that, you know, how that plays. And then even WikiLeaks cables pointing out that the intelligence, intelligence, Israeli. the intelligence chief encouraged the Hamas, the Hamas takeover of the Gaza. And this goes on to be on to be clear about the reality that gives them the, ex the excuse to do what they want to do and so on. So do you have any thoughts on that? Matt? Oh, I, I have some thoughts. Yes. So as I'm sure you've seen, many people have been calling this Israel's 9-11. And I want to say, okay, let's take that statement. But let's not take it at face value. Because, of course, the face value reading of that statement is that uh, just like on 9-11, we, we were attacked out of the blue. Uh, by these uh, dastardly, dastardly terrorists, terrorists and, and thus that uh, gives us carte blanche to go on a never-ending war against anyone we don't like, right? That's the sentiment that is obviously being called to mind when they they call this Israel's 9-11. But let's, let's take it from the conspiracy reality perspective that, of course, 9-11 was not some random attack out of the blue, um, and it was not by random terrorists. It was obviously part of a much, much larger intelligence operation, as has come out and I have attempted to document in many, many documentaries over the years. So let's look at the aspects of this event that line up with that 9-11 parallel. Um, you have the surprise attack out of the blue from the air, no, nonetheless, by these paragliding Hamas fighters. Okay, sure. And as we've already talked about, 15 separate breaches of the border. Um, absolutely, completely unthinkable on any other day, but it happened, just like on 9-11 the most heavily defended airspace in the world over Washington, D.C., completely undefended. Oops, oh, we, we got a bunch of fighters over here uh, looking after the Russians. We got a bunch of fighters over here on training operations. We got a bunch of fighters that we scrambled and then for some reason sent out over the Atlantic before they came back. And you know, wouldn't you know it, none of them could reach any of these targets on time. Right? That's, that's the they claimed the West Bank was, the earliest excuse was West Bank drew people away because of some issue, but 15 points, not buying it. Please continue. Yeah, exactly right. So again, yet another parallel. Oh, you know, uh, it was just so much chaos and we just couldn't figure out what to do. So, all right. Okay. So, and now let's, let's look at the explanation for this, because of course on 9-11, we know it was the dastardly Al-Qaeda terrorists masterminded by that arch terrorist mastermind in the caves of Afghanistan. 
um, using his satellite phone on a laptop, directing 19 men with box cutters, right? That's how it happened. And here we have, of course, these Hamas terrorists. Well, okay, let's look at that. Al-Qaeda, of course, as people know from my five and a half hour documentary on the history of Al-Qaeda at corporatereport.com slash Al-Qaeda, if you're interested, um, founded in 1988. Right? right? And Hamas, founded and in Hamas. 1988. And, and by whom? So, of course, Al-Qaeda and all of the various links to intelligence, the CIA, etc., uh, as I've talked about in my work in the past. Well, let's look at the Hamas situation. And as you've already pointed out there, it's not even a conspiracy theory at this point. It's openly talked about. People could have, at the, could have, at the very least at the time, pieced it together by reading between the lines of opinion pieces that ran again in our good old favorite, the old gray lady, the old great prostitute in the New York Times back in 1989. Uh, you had Clinton Bailey, for example, writing an alternative to the PLO dash fundamentalists in which, of course, he's putting in black and white the, uh, the, the rationale behind this and explaining the rise of fundamentalists in the Palestinian camp, essentially, and uh, how they could be useful in negotiating in in uh, negotiating a different way and putting pressure on the PLO, of course, at that time, right? Um, Yasser Arafat. And he goes on to say, thus, if America and the international community decided to concentrate their efforts on implementing Security Council 242 with an Israeli-Jordanian accord, they might find the ground largely prepared in the Palestinian camp, ironically, fundamentalists. Moreover, the fundamentalist emphasis on regaining whatever territory they can, they can might leave room for compromises with Jordan that the PLO could not allow itself to make. So at, at any rate, we're getting the, uh, the groundwork um, preparation in the public consciousness for the eventual reveal, which did happen many years later. Yeah, you know, Israel definitely helped help foster and bring Hamas into um, reality. Um, a good overview explainer of that from the Washington Post, the CIA's favorite newspaper from 2014, uh, how Israel helped create Hamas. But that references specifically on um, the Wall Street Journal article that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with by now, How Israel Helped to Spawn Hamas by Andrew Higgins um, that ran in 2009, quoting um, Avner Cohen, who, um, uh, uh, a Tunisian-born Jew who worked in Gaza for more than two decades who said, Hamas, my regret, great regret is Israel's creation. And they go through the history of that for people who are unfamiliar with it. Now, of course, as you have been at pains to stress in your recent coverage, and I commend you for your recent coverage, you've been doing incredibly important deep dives on this. So I hope people in my audience are listening to, to your daily wrap-ups on this. But as, as we stress, there are many different ways that we can read you know, Hamas and what it is and how it has developed over the years. And it isn't necessarily the case that Israel literally controls Hamas and everyone who is in Hamas and tells them what to do. And this was all 100% a, a made-to-happen uh, sort of event. Um, there are many ways that this could work. In the same way, I would suggest, uh, again, if we're going with the 9-11 parallel with Al-Qaeda, which I call Al-Qaeda advisedly and for obvious reasons, but it doesn't mean that every single person who thought that they were joining up to the Al-Qaeda terrorist organization and swearing their allegiance to Osama bin Laden necessarily knew that they were working indirectly for American and Israeli and Saudi intelligence. I, I don't think that that was necessarily something that they told to every single member of the organization. In the same way, an organization like Hamas could be puppeteered and controlled from key positions by people who are actively collaborating, whereas 
there are other there people are who genuinely are true believers. Are true. And in fact, if you were running an operation like this, you like would this. want that specifically. Right. And if people don't can't don't wrap their minds around the calculations that go into this, uh, I'm recently rereading um, Danielle Ganser's uh, NATO's secret uh, army secret about Operation Gladio. Gladio. And, and, uh, and it explains it very clearly in there about how the most the, uh, uh, beneficial uh, way to create, to create a force of a terrorist, terrorist fighter is for, for to recruit for people who genuinely believe what they are doing, are doing and genuinely are trying to do it, but you're you're steering them this way and that, and you're allowing this or that attack to happen. Anyway, that's sort of the overall false flag idea and how it, this type of event could be the result of collaborationism between certain elements of Israeli intelligence and military and certain elements in Hamas, for example. Uh, again, I don't have the receipts and paperwork on this, but I just think that given the incredibly, not just unlikely, but well-nigh impossible events that we've seen taking place, that would be, that would uh, be. A, a very... Uh, at least an option that should be on the table for people to consider. And uh, let's extend the analogy out because, of course, what was what was the 9-11 op really about? I mean, there were many different things that came about as a result of, of it. But one very obvious thing that you can point to is pre-9-11, 2001, I'm sure the Americans in your crowd will remember, George W. Bush, uh, an incredibly divisive and largely reviled figure. Um, he, even Republicans weren't necessarily jazzed about George W. Um, he was a laughing stock and uh, the subject of a lot of protest. Post 9-11-2001, rally around the flag, he's our war leader, go America. And that lasted for several years before the the shine of the beautiful, glorious attacks of 9-11 started to wear off and people started to recognize the reality. Similarly in Israel, Netanyahu, a deeply divisive, deeply unpopular figure. And just a couple of months ago, even, you had IDF reservists and others um, leaving or threatening to leave and stop service um, because of the types of changes that the Netanyahu government is trying to make with regards to the Israeli um, high court and the, the way that it functions and parliament's role in this, blah, blah, blah. Domestic politics, guys. But at any rate, Netanyahu, deeply unpopular with a large section of the public. But guess what? Of course, in the wake of this, rally around the flag, guys. Do not question. And exactly as uh, Efrat was uh, uh, pointing to earlier, well, I know th this doesn't make sense and there are questions about it, but should I even be raising these questions at this time? That's the exact sentiment that people had in the wake of 9-11. You know, there's some things here that don't add up, but you don't question it. Do not question this event. And I think that it's having the similar effect. Um, other knock-on effects that can happen as a result of this. One thing that I noted right away, um, one of the things that was floated in the, in the first couple of days of this was how did this attack happen? Oh, it's because those dastardly Hamas terrorist masterminds went dark. I.e., of course, we can control and surveil absolutely everything that they are doing electronically, but they just didn't use electronics, man. They were doing face-to-face -face kind of meetings. So what is going to be the result of this? And I, I mean, at the very least, let's imagine, okay, Israel says, okay, guys, let's not do the ground invasion. Let's stop bombing. Enough is enough. You know, okay, we're, we're going to let up. But at the very least, you would imagine they would set up the ultimate surveillance dragnet. You want you want a smart city? Imagine what they're going to do to Gaza to make sure that anyone that says anything, any 
blade of grass that rots will be constantly surveilled and reported, etc. And exactly as in the case of 9-11, where that type of Homeland Security Patriot Act nonsense then spread to the entire world, essentially. It has become the groundwork infrastructure for what Colin Powell later identified as the terror industrial complex. Well, boy, did the terror industrial complex just get a, a, a giant shot in the arm, so to speak, um, from this event as well. Um, um, there are many, many, many aspects to this, but I, I, I think that the, the parallel is, is there. This is Israel's 9-11, and I think that's intended in every possible way. And just as a bonus, of course, we recently had Netanyahu himself coming out and saying, Hamas is ISIS. <laughs> All right, Hamas is ISIS. Who is ISIS? And how did they come how did they arise from the sands of the desert? How, how did they arrive on the scene? Oh, that's right. In that spectacular convoy that paraded across Western Iraq there in 2015, under the watchful eye of the U.S. forces, of course, and completely allowed to go in and take Ram uh, Ramadi and other parts of Western Iraq and into Syria, uh, exactly as was predicted years in advance by the Defense Intelligence Agency, saying, you you guys, with what we're doing in Syria and Iraq, this is going to cause an Islamic State. And hey, the Islamic State arose, headed by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who, for people who don't remember, had that remarkable... Remarkable career, arrested in Iraq in 2004, rearrested in 2007, arrested again in 2009, killed in May 2009, killed in 2010, uh, arrested, you know, died in an Israeli hospital in 2015, killed in an airstrike in October 2015, uh, killed by the Russians in 2017. But don't worry, he's really dead this time. And uh, then finally, Rep reported dead for the last time in 2019. Anyway, people know the the, the nonsense that goes on in this sphere. And so, if you want, yeah, Netanyahu, if you want to say Hamas is ISIS, yeah, let's let's see where that that uh, idea goes. Well, and let's not forget that forget that has been. I mean, on the record, treat, treating extremist ISIS members in Syria. There's uh, there's that the Heights area. There's just, like medically treating them. There's been a this coverage that's very clear. And then to your work in general, or even Ben Swan has an outstanding has an outstanding documentary tie to tie directly back directly back to the Israeli government connections. So it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous that now they're created they created, created the mosque and now he's that together and you're it's kind of like too much on the nose right it's like that's very clear here but i want to make some points like you said i think it's important that's important that's why i started the and if it wasn't for the the time and the audio issue we would have done a little more focus there but but, but the idea that and that's what like the idea that people are afraid to talk about this like even though it's like even though she clearly clearly feels there's a problem there's a problem and even maybe i shouldn't and th and that's my point about this get that people are emotional but facts matter obviously. And if that fact might even change how you perceive who's responsible, wouldn't you want to know that? A lot of people, I argue, probably wouldn't want to know that, right? So I think that's important. And the same reason I started with the idea of, you know, showing you the, the focus on children, the bombing, and so on, is just to, to go over the the logic about, about why it seems this might be something that they're capable of in regard to who they're funding and creating in regard to what I'm talking about, the Zionist government and the funding of through Hamas, of through Hamas. Make theirs interesting that we know, know the, the origin, but then the becomes, you know, what happened? It, there's, it, it seems that something shifted, right? Vanessa Bealey points out that there are still provable, in her opinion, connections in Hamas to Hamas to still some loyalties and connections to Israel and even to, even to the United States. So the question is, were there possible factions that might have acted outside of what they were really doing, you know? And I actually really quickly wanted your, your, uh, your, uh, your opinion. So the 2006 election, 
was what everybody kind of points to now, acting like, acting like well, Hamas is the government of Palestine. And I don't, it's, it's obviously not that simple. And it's not even close to, I think, the reality of the where it currently is, right? We know that, right? We know that that's the last, I, we know that there was the, there was the Fatah kind of like forth between Hamas, Hamas and Fatah and then the, the, the agreements and it kind of stalled, right? So what, in your opinion, how do you frame that? Who would you argue is more in charge of what's going on in, in Gaza specifically? You know, Hamas, the, the Palestinian Authority, you know, how do you see that? And then who do you think it's fair to say that they're the government of, of Gaza, in your opinion? Uh, it, what what does government of Gaza mean in the situation of a of a military occupation? I mean, to a certain extent, the entire thing is 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 a charade and a game. So um, that that there is support amongst people in Gaza for Hamas, and I don't mean everyone, but that there are people who would support Hamas would not be surprising. I think in this event, but I think perhaps the most fruitful way to understand what is happening right now is not as a war. Because wars happen between nation states, right? This is not, that's not what's happening right now, is it? Um, what's happening, essentially, did we just witness a jailbreak? And if we did, in that context, what, what is the situation? In a sense, if, as many people have come to understand and acknowledge, Gaza is the world's largest open-air prison, with two million people being held in captivity, essentially, and... Um, utterly controlled from outside, then what they're doing is not deciding on some sort of government in some sort of free and fair election for their nation state. At best, they're getting a suggestion box for prison warden. And the prison warden in this case, well, it's become Hamas. And there could be different reasons for that. One of which is, I mean, do we trust that this is the free and independent selection of the, and the will of the Palestinian people? I don't know. Or, yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. But yeah, but th that some people might might think, OK, well, we want the big, strong, you know, guy with a big stick to be the warden, at least to keep away the I mean, what is what is the analogy here? The the people in the outside world who are trying to come in and control the prison. I mean, it, 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 kind of the analogy breaks down to a certain extent, but th that some people might think that uh, it makes sense and sort of plays again on the lived experience and reality of people who have been under siege and occupation for decades. And, and whose very existence on in this region has been notified for the better part of a century at this point. Um, it's yeah. Try putting your head in that headspace and see what you come up with with regards to that. As I say, I uh, whether Hamas is 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 a functioning government that has been chosen by the Palestinian people or something. It seems like it's the wrong way of even conceiving of what's happening right. in Gaza right now. And and just to expand the conversation a little, because of course, Palestine does not equal Gaza. I mean, let's right. talk about West Bank. Let's talk about other aspects of this, the, the Palestinian diaspora that exists. And let's also talk about Egypt's complicity in making sure that that, that border is controlled and that um, yeah, they, they've said they do not want people fleeing over that border. Um, they've shut it down to anything but emergency aid. So so Egypt has a role to play in this as well, obviously in collaboration with Israel. And that is actually, I think, sort of the base of this issue is that the Palestinian people, as, as always in these conflicts, become nothing more than chess pieces for a geopolitical power game that is taking place right now. And of course, the Israeli strategy, if they can, is to just 
get rid of those chess pieces if that was possible if they could just drive them into the sea as as you were pointing out earlier there are many officials who openly say that at this point um and similarly in the arab world um you know you palestinians you represent our presence there in that region you have to stay there and defend our land we're willing to fight to the last palestinian says the egyptians and other people in the arab world right so again, the people, the actual human beings, 50% of the 2 million people in Gaza being children are being used as chess pieces. And it's absolutely disgusting. And to the extent that any life, Israeli or Palestinian, is just being used as convenient chess pieces to hold different squares of the grand chessboard, um, that's something that we have to reject completely and wholesale because that mentality, as Again, as we saw, even with Efrat, they're talking about, well, the, the Israeli people are being used by their government and their military. And so let me say the most controversial thing that I hope will get the extremists on all sides extremely angry with me. But, Brian, allow me the space for a dramatic pause here to give this the full, expe- uh, 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 full extent of what I mean to say. I stand with the Israeli people. And I stand with the Palestinian people. I stand against the Israeli government. I stand against the IDF. I stand against the settlers and others who would literally cheer as they watch the bombs dropping on Gaza. I stand against any actual true Hamas terrorists who would gladly slit the throat of a little Israeli child because they're Israeli. I stand against the Canadian government, the Japanese government, the American government, the the governments and the the authorities that seek to rule over humanity, I stand with humanity. And if we don't come at this from that perspective, again, I do not think we enter the realm of even having a moral conversation. Yeah, 100%. You know, I I really think that's where, I mean, the vast majority of my coverage has been really trying to really trying to focus on is the obvious problem um, with civilian role in this conversation where where we're trying to compare. I think uh, um, my, I forget, uh, Nawaz, I forget. I think I've always trouble with his name. I'll, I'll include him in the include him in the uh, in the he made a great point, great point about how it is that you basically have two two extreme sides. Act, this dead child proves my point. No, this dead child proves my point. And it's just we've lost all sense of what makes, you know, what's moral. And that's probably largely at least one of the points in all of this. I, I think I'm glad I appreciate your your framing in regard to Gaza in regard to Hamas and the government there, because what's funny is it's a it's such a breath of fresh air to talk to somebody who can stand back and see the dynamic there that you explained, and it's so frustrating. But you're absolutely right that it's not even a fair starting point. In the starting point in the con- that we're talking about an illegal occupation. We're talking about we're talking about people that have been occupied for seventy five years, five years plus, whole atrocities. So I mean, I mean, I know, I know, I had a few more things I wanted to get into, but I think that's a generally good place to put a pin because I know it was I know it's left. But I, why don't we end with if you could if you could give your fr- of as much as much as I know, it's a very reality for those that know the the, the the legalities of. But it's very clear that it's an occupied territory that anybody would even try to deny. Try to lose my mind. It's legally re- the reality. The reality. The UN. The US, but people still make that argument. Argument. But in your, can you break down the legalities of the Geneva Convention and armed struggle and what that, that means in the context of what's happening right now for people right now for people just about why some some people think that May is trying to kind of rashes the violence but there's but there's a line there between the ad rebellion and then 
crimes that were later committed. So give me your your thoughts on that to kind of wrap today. Right, right. Well, I do not have the references uh, pulled up and I know you've been talking about this. So I will again, direct people to your daily wrap ups where you're going through this uh, in much more detail than I will be able to do extemporaneously here. But yes, the general point is that people who are under occupation, military occupation, are generally understood to have the right to resist that occupation by any and all means, including um, the use of deadly force. Within the uh, law. Now, yeah. To a certain extent, okay, yes, let's let's go by Geneva Conventions and UN uh, uh, statements, etc., because this is what is generally understood and recognized as international law. However, I would say the deeper issue is that I think the whole construct of international law is itself the stepping stone to world government that is lusted after as part of this larger globalist agenda. So I don't want to, I certainly don't want to say that because because of this convention or because of this UN statement, they, they have the right to resist. I think the general principle is that people who are under military occupation, essentially, as I say, if you are being put into an open air prison, um, obviously against your will and being held there and then being threatened with ethnic cleansing slash genocide. Yeah. I, I think the, the basic moral precept of self-defense definitely comes into play. Of course, then the question of what is what constitutes self-defense and does slitting the throat of a child can constitute self-defense? Of course not. So it has to be placed into that context. And there are still crimes that can be committed in the act of self-defense or rebellion. But um, these are things that are, as I say, basic basic precepts of morality itself that, that don't come from the United Nations or any particular convention. They are part of the human experience. Um, at any rate... It is a point oft made, but let's make it again. One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. And it is simply, it is generally a question of history being written by the winners. So that uh, uh, George Washington and the other rebels are heroes and are venerated as founders of the nation because they won. And if they had lost, I wonder how history would look at even the American Revolution, right? So this is this is the the key point. Um, people who are fighting in an existential struggle. This isn't just about some sort of patch of land or something. This is about their right to exist on the planet. Um, yeah, it, it definitely brings with it the right to self defense. And as you have pointed out, of course, the the very same people who talk, for example, about the Ukrainians' right to self defense against the Russians, will then go out and say, "We stand with Israel." And anything that they do, including ethnic cleansing and genocide, A-OK. -okay. Anyway, I don't even know how to speak to people who would deny that there is an occupation going on. Um, again, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know what to say, because that's not even entering into the realm of reality, to have a reality-based discussion. This is a military occupation, and the at the very, very, very least, the expectation must be that there will be armed resistance to any such occupation like that, even regardless of the moral question. And I think that's the other aspect, just before I have to get going here, but the other aspect of this that's important to think is what possible, if this was a genuine, authentic, organic attack by Hamas, and Hamas has nothing to do with Israel, and they're completely 100% the will and representative of the Palestinian people, and this was a totally organic attack, what 
what was the strategy here? What was the point of any of this? Okay, a spectacular, amazing, the biggest breach of Israeli intelligence in the border in, in the history of this conflict. Incredible victory, I guess, if you want to put it in those terms for, for that side. Great, wonderful. So the idea is to go in, kill as many civilians as possible, kidnap the rest, and then just retreat and then just sit there and wait to be invaded which apparently seems to have been the strategy at this point, or at least that's all we've seen. The only things that I could think of is it is a, an attempt to break the status quo, which I guess mission accomplished, but which way is that going to go? Not necessarily well for the Palestinian people. Um, and, or it was obviously not an authentic, organic, completely 100% Palestinian plot. It was a collaborationist plot. Or... Uh, the maybe an accelerationist plot to, okay, now we're going to get Iran and other people into this conflict and there's going to be a bigger war and that will settle this issue once and for all. But anyway, as a as some sort of military tactic, okay, let's do this spectacular invasion and then come right back and just wait to be bombed. Doesn't seem to make any sense from any perspective I can see. Yeah, well said. I agree. And I know you got to uh, jump out, James, so go ahead and if you're going to drop out, I'm just going to end in general. So thank you all for for being here, I, I apologize for the issues to start and before we started and during the show with the with the audio. Um, I'm wondering whether the audio was actually actually just that bad and there was some chat issues and I, I jumped in and screwed it up with this even further. So we'll find out. I'll see what I can do to fix it. But I think it's really think it's really important. To continue to be be clear. Civilians matter anywhere. Whatever their, whatever their ethnicity, where they're from, whatever they look like, that has to matter. You can't pretend that your outrage somehow outweighs their right to be alive. You know, and it's, you know, and it's just, it's really becoming how many people can't wrap their minds, their minds around that. And thank you for taking the time, James. And, and uh, I hope everybody used to question all of this and come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.